Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceived that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any more. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except for Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Awesome. Thank you very much, Nathan. So I'm going to be doing something a little different. As Colin said, um, I'm going to be doing a first-person narrative, and so I'm going to be telling the story from Jairus' perspective. Um, I figured it was best that I told you up front since last time I did this. It took people about halfway through to figure out that I was not the person I was impress- uh, impressioning. And so um, the hope in doing this and telling you this story from his perspective is that you would be drawn into the story a little bit more that you would experience and feel what he's experienced and feel, and ultimately that you would see Jesus in a greater and grander way. Um, now, there are certain things as telling the story from a first person that are going to, I take artistic license, and so please look and, and look to the scriptures. The scriptures are what are infallible. My representation of them is not. And so please search the scriptures and see and, and let those um, glean and guide you um, as we follow along with uh, Jairus' story. Let us pray. Pray for me as I pray for you. Father, I give this to you today. I pray that it would be a blessing to your people. I pray that you would speak, encourage us, draw us near, help us to to place our trust and our faith in you as we see that you are worthy. We love you, Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Revelation 21.4 He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Psalm 34, verse 17 through 19. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Have you ever had a moment in your life where something happened and and you knew that forever your life would be changed. It wasn't necessarily a, a conscious choice that you decided to change, but it was more like something inside of you just 
clicked and the change was was there and there was nothing you could do about it. That moment for me was when my daughter was born. <laughs> you see, my wife and I had struggled for years and years to have a child. It seemed so easy. Our friends, our neighbors, even our family had children, but yet we were barren. We waited. We prayed. People looked around at my wife and I thinking something was off, something was strange, something was wrong with her, something was wrong with us. And we we felt the burden of it. But we waited and we prayed. I remember finally hearing and God answered our prayers. My wife was pregnant. I was so overjoyed. I remember each day of her pregnancy watching her belly slowly grow. I remember putting my ear up and just trying to hear the faint whispers of the heartbeat and putting my hand on her belly and feeling our little girl begin to move and kick. It was so exciting. But nothing compared with actually seeing her. I remember the day like it was yesterday. It was so clear in my mind. I was at the synagogue preparing. I'm a ruler of the synagogue. And so I was walking with our assistant and and looking at the next week's plans for how we would lay out the readings. And our cousin ran in and screamed that my wife's water had broken. (laughs) I never ran home so fast in my life. I booked that half mile. I probably set a record. And as soon as I got home, I saw the midwife right next to my wife, coaching her, guiding her, helping her. As I sat there, worry began to to creep into my heart. You see, the delivery process is the most exciting, but also the most dangerous part. It was just two weeks ago that our neighbor lost their infant son in the process of delivery. The process took forever, 20 hours and more, and so I anxiously waited, and then I prayed, and then I anxiously waited some more, and I prayed some more, and finally... Finally, the midwife said that she'd breached and she held up my baby girl, my beautiful baby girl. I I saw her chubby cheeks, her wisp of dark hair, her gorgeous brown eyes, and she had my heart. I knew that, that I would do anything that it took to protect her, that I would do whatever it took to save her. I knew that I would never be the same. Life is different after you have a child. (laughs) I thought I was a pretty uh, peaceful, calm, collected guy. I mean, I oversee a synagogue and uh, and I have all the daily strains of life going against me. Uh, our, Our town is divided. There's so many factions. You have the zealots who are bent on destroying Rome, bent on waging war. You have the Pharisees that their strict observance of the law sometimes alienates and belittles people. You have the tax collectors who have sold out their own people to make a buck. You have the common person just trying to make it, just trying to to work and, and provide food for their family. You have the sinners and the unclean that are on the, the outskirts of our city because they have no people. And then to add all of this another life born to this kind of crazy world. It brought new anxiety and new fear into my life that I hadn't understood. And she didn't help very much either. She was a bubbly, bouncy, energetic little girl. 
from crawling to walking to running around. She had so much energy. She was so full of life. You had all of this stress. And then there was a new teaching that was going around. You see, in in the past year, along with all of the division in our community and and striving, my job was to, to meet with families, to bring unity, to bring us together, to fear the Lord, to hear his law, and to submit ourselves underneath it. But with all the division, it felt like our city was a powder keg, just waiting for a match to blow it all up. And we had had this new rabbi that had come around our city For the past year, this peasant carpenter named Jesus had been coming around Capernaum and other rural areas, teaching, performing miracles. I knew Jesus, but everybody had a different opinion about him. You see, the zealots, they saw an opportunity to wage war with Jesus. They saw someone who would lead their revolution. The Pharisees, they spoke of blasphemy, that someone would forgive sins. That someone would dare to associate with sinners and those that are unclean. For the tax collector, the common person, those that were unclean, they found hope. They saw opportunity in Jesus. You see, some of them found opportunity and hope because they felt that their bellies would be fed. (laughs) Others, that they might finally be restored. That they might be healed of their infirmities. And yet still others talked about a kind of love, a kind of power, a kind of authority that Jesus brought with his very presence. But I'd seen miracle workers before. I'd seen revolutionaries come and go. And I wasn't necessarily a fan of Jesus. His forgiving of sins seemed like blasphemy. His performing of miracles found dubious. I was uncertain. I was doubtful. But it's funny how your lofty opinions change when you're in a moment of desperation. Everything happened. My little girl, Sapphira, she was 12. And she had been growing up. It was a few years before she was to be married. She had just spent the night over at her friends and she had come back and she had a high fever. And she was had an achy body. And we, we put her to bed and and hoped and prayed that, you know, it was just a temporary bug that the fever would pass and break and that she would feel better. But the next day, she woke up and, and her fever was worse. She began sweating and throwing up and having diarrhea. Everything that came in her came immediately out. And we called a Pharisee who was a local doctor and, and we asked him and he gave us some remedies. And we sought to apply these, but everything that we did, it failed. Nothing seemed to work, and she grew worse and worse and worse. Eleven days in, a week and a half, and I could barely recognize my daughter. I could barely see Sapphira underneath the the skin and bones of this little girl who lay on our bed, waiting to die, waiting for the pain to end. I'm a leader in the community. I've been there for many families and watched similar situations unfold. I've seen families lose children before, and I've been there for them, but nothing can ever prepare you for losing your child. 
I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemies. The fear, the anxiety, the despair, the hopelessness, the feeling of utter helplessness that you can do nothing. It, it pushed me to the brink. I called our families and our relatives in our city and they gathered around our house as it seemed like the time was coming close that she would pass. They gathered together to mourn and to cry and to pray. And I stood there with my wife. I needed to get out to clear my head. And so I walked out of the street, out of my house, onto the street. And I saw a large crowd gathering at the front of the city. I stopped one of the passerbys that was running up and I said, what's going on? And he said that Jesus has returned into the city. It was in this moment, this moment of utter desperation, this moment of total inability where I could do nothing and I had nowhere else to go, that finally I left my pride, I abandoned it. I stopped caring about what other people thought or what they would say about me. And I I ran as fast as I ran to my child's birth, so I ran to Jesus' feet. And I pushed through that crowd. I even pushed one of the disciples down to get to Jesus. And I threw myself at his feet. I lay down, sobbing, crying, begging Jesus, please, please, would you save my daughter? Would you, would you heal her? Would you rescue her? The master, as the disciples called him, looked at me. He touched my face and he said, show me where you live. I got up and a spark of hope began to emerge in my heart again as I began to show and walk with Jesus back to where we lived. I knew that time was of the essence, that we didn't have long before my daughter would die. And as we walked, the process was so slow. It was so arduous. I got to Jesus in a matter of minutes, but it seemed like eternity walking back for the crowd pressed in and hindered our movement. Not only that, but Jesus stopped as well. We were about halfway to my house and Jesus stopped. Thomas almost ran right into him. He turned and he said, who's touched me? The crowd froze in silence. And Jesus looked around once more and he said, who is, who has touched me? Peter looked at him somewhat indignant and said, Jesus, the crowd is all around pressing in at every angle. Who knows who touched you? And Jesus looked at Peter and said, no, someone has touched me for I perceive that power has left me and gone out to heal. And finally, when it became clear to the crowd that Jesus would not budge, that Jesus would not move until the person who had touched him would reveal himself, there became a cold silence that fell over the crowd as everyone looked around, waiting to see who it was that would step forward. And finally, finally an older woman came forward. I recognized her, and so did the crowd. She was someone that was unclean. Twelve years earlier, she had had a hemorrhage. She had blood that continually flowed from her, and she was unable to be cleansed. She fell down at Jesus' feet, and Jesus looked at her and said, Why is it that you have touched me? He made her 
utter her need, why she had come to him. And she said, I came to you because I am unclean. And for 12 years, I have been seeking help. No physician has been able to cure me. And though I once had some means, now I am poor. Now I am broke. Now I am desolate. And I have no one else to turn to. But you see, as she said this, she was crying. But it wasn't tears of sadness. It was tears of joy. She looked at Jesus and she smiled. And she said, but now I am healed. <laughs> For the moment that I touched you, I perceived in my body that, that I, was, I was healed. You have, have made me well. And Jesus touched her face and said, daughter, your faith has healed you. It's made you well. Go in peace. In that moment, Jesus healed her, not simply physically, but spiritually, emotionally, relationally, back into her God and back into her people. I was thankful. I was grateful for seeing this. But honestly, I was a little impatient because I knew that at any moment my daughter could die. And as we turned to continue on to my house, I saw my servant running. He approached us, and I could tell written all over his face the news that he had brought. He told me that my daughter had passed, that while Jesus was healing this other daughter, that mine had died. All the emotions that I had been feeling over those 11 days, they all coursed right back up. Anger. Why in the world did Jesus wait? Didn't he realize, wasn't he a great physician? Why didn't he tell her to, to wait as he healed my daughter? He could have saved her if we would have rushed there. Guilt. Why wasn't I there? Why did I leave my wife's side to go to be with Jesus when I should have been there and held my daughter's hand as she passed away? Despair. My daughter that I love so much, that I would give my life for, is gone. Helplessness. Weakness. All of these flashed through my mind in a moment as I tried to wrestle with the truth that my daughter had just died. As I began to turn to leave the teacher, not to bother him any longer, Jesus said, only believe and she will be well. Do not fear. How is it that Jesus could tell me not to be afraid? How could he tell me to believe? How could he tell me to have hope and faith that she would be made well? She was dead. She was gone. But it's in that moment that I remembered a story that I had overheard weeks prior. That Jesus was in a city of Nain, and there was a widow's son that had died. And Jesus but touched him, and he rose. I began to hope once more as I followed Jesus, and we walked back into our house. The crowd had gathered and people were wailing and mourning, sobbing uncontrollably. And Jesus walked in and he told them, stop mourning, stop crying. The girl isn't dead. She's merely sleeping. You see, at these words, they began to laugh at Jesus. They began to mock him. You know, unfortunately, a child's death doesn't, is, isn't infrequent in our society. We knew, they knew that she was dead. They had seen her with their own eyes. Jesus 
rebuked them. And he told me and my wife, he told Peter, James, and John to come up into the room where my daughter was. I walked in and I saw her limp corpse. And Jesus went over and he bent down his knee. He whispered in her ear, taking her hand, Talitha Kuma, which means little girl, arise. And but with a word, her eyes opened and she sat straight up out of bed. I think my wife almost fainted and I know my heart skipped a couple beats. I rushed forward and I grabbed my little girl and I hugged her and I swinged her around with tears pouring forth from my eyes. He had rescued her. He had saved her. Jesus turned and he told me, give her something to eat. For though she was smiling and though she was alive, she was still skinny and she needed food. And so I fed her, amazed, perplexed at what I had just seen with my own eyes. And Jesus commanded us. He said, don't tell anyone. It seemed a strange command. Honestly, I didn't know what to do. How could I not tell anyone of what had just happened to me? But I thought that my daughter's life would be testimony enough of Jesus' love and of his power. Jesus brought my daughter back from the dead. It was almost like a, a second birth. I learned so much that day. I learned that that Jesus was willing to become unclean, that he was willing to be defiled, that he might make those that are unclean whole. You see, he didn't shrink back or chide the woman with a, a, a who had a hemorrhage who was bleeding. He didn't tell her to get away from him. He didn't rebuke her. He didn't stone her. But instead, he became ceremonially unclean by touching her. He took on her filth and her dirt. And she became whole and was healed. He came into my daughter's room. He touched someone that was dead, though that made him unclean, that she might be made whole. You see, Jesus wasn't concerned about himself. He wasn't wrapped up in him being clean or his purity. He was instead focused upon and leading by compassion and love for others. He was moved. It seemed as if he didn't consider himself. I learned also that God's timing is not our timing. You see, the woman had a hemorrhage for 12 years. You don't think that she had been begging the Lord. I know that she had longed to be healed for such a long time. And Jesus saw her need and in his timing healed her. From my perspective, Jesus was out of time. My daughter died and it didn't make sense to me. But Jesus, Jesus' plans are not my plans. And he saw the whole picture while I only saw a piece of it. I learned that, that I can have faith. He told me and cast out my fear with but a word. And he told me, trust, that even in the most desperate situations, even the circumstances that most seem out of control and in a storm, that we can still trust because God is working out his plan in his time. The last thing that I learned is that I know the one that has the power over death. That Jesus cast out death with but a touch and a word. I was there. I saw my daughter was dead. And Jesus touched her and spoke to her and raised her from the dead. Now I know my daughter's going to die again. And so will I. 
But I need not fear, for I know the one that has the power over death. You see, I followed Jesus, and he raised other people from the dead in his ministry. One of his friends, Lazarus, he waited four days before he raised him. And he turned to Lazarus' sister before he raised him, Martha. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, though he dies. And the one who believes in me and lives will never die. Those who believe in Jesus will never die. Not truly. Have you ever had a moment in your life, something that happened to you, that you knew you'd never be the same? Something wasn't necessarily a conscious choice that you made, but something just clicked inside of you and you knew that you could never go back, that you could never be the old person that you were before. That moment happened again when I encountered Jesus of Nazareth. When he healed my daughter, he restored my life. I will never be the same again. Revelation 21.4 He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Psalm 34.17-19 When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you became as one unclean, that we might be made whole. We thank you that your timing is perfect and that you have a plan that you are working out. We thank you that you are sovereign and that you have power over even death and that you cast out fear in our lives. Lord, I pray for your people. I pray for for us here that know you, that are perhaps enslaved by different fears in our lives. And I pray that you would set us free, that you would help us to see the power that you have. And I pray for those that are here that don't know you, that don't have a relationship with you, that they would see that you are worthy, that you are, you are beautiful and powerful. And that in our most desperate moments, in our most broken circumstances, you are there. You are there to help and to heal and to bring restoration to our lives. We love you and we give you praise, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.